Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome back as we walk through the New Testament in the order the books were written, not chronologically, but the order in which they were written, um, not chronologically, in other words, not in the order that the events occurred, but in the order the books were written. I hope that's confusing enough. And things will only go up from here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter four, starting at verse 14. The first word is therefore, which we always have to look to see what it's there for. And the conclusion was nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him. Jesus has experienced what we experienced. He walked in our flesh. He calls us his brothers and sisters, truly the family of God. And now one of the major arguments in the book of Hebrews is about to begin. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This would be if you were writing a a composition paper back in in school this would be your theme and then the argument will be developed uh, after you've written your theme so this is where we are this is what we believe uh, now we're going to un- unroll that argument in front of you we have such a high priest who has gone through the heavens a couple of versions of old manuscripts say into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What is our faith? Is our faith built upon a huge set of doctrines, procedures, rituals, and traditions? Or is our faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That's the big question here. But it's not really a question. Because in the book of Hebrews, it could not be any plainer that the faith he's talking about is the faith in the deity and the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So once again, this is good news at every level. The burdens we've been carrying that men have put on our back saying, God requires you fall into line this way, can be cut loose and just walk after Jesus. And how can he sympathize with us in all ways? Now we talked about that last week, did we not? That Jesus put skin on, he walked on this earth, he knows the struggles here. I, by the way, sometimes in my prayer, will talk to God and say, God, it's really hard down here. Talk to Jesus. It is so hard down here. It's all right to talk to God like that. <clears throat> read, read the Old Testament prophets and patriarchs. They, they had blunt conversations with God, and you can too. Uh, but we have a priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's walked here. Now, years ago, it's uh, right as we were just in Virginia for a short period of time on our way to Scotland. Uh, 
I preached a sermon and, and back then kids, this is before the internet and before easy access to stuff. So I would leave my notes on the pulpit for a week so people could come up, maybe take a photocopy of them. We did have those in the office or just to write down the notes themselves. And no, they couldn't take pictures of it with their phone because our phones did not take pictures. Uh, and you couldn't carry them around with you. Long story. Anyway, so I taught about how Jesus sympathized with us because he's been where we are. And I came back to get my notes at the end of the week. Somebody had scrawled on there with red pen, no less, that Jesus can't sympathize with all things because he didn't feel all things. Jesus was never pregnant. Well, by the way, I, I know who did it and it wasn't a pregnant woman. It was a guy and he liked, he, he thought that was his job in life is to find the faults and what other people said. So it didn't really throw me off that I was just another milestone on his journey. But um, does Jesus know what it's like to be pregnant? It's a good question. The answer is yes. How, how could he, he was a guy. Well, we're not gonna get into gender fluidity here because um, we're, we're not. Jesus knows what it's like to be pregnant because he invented pregnancy, designed pregnancy. He is in all things. That's what we've just read about, that he holds all things together. He's in every nerve cell. He's in the fold, the epithelial folds. He's in all of these. He knows. And because he has walked in skin personally, he cares. That's the beauty of this. Now, there are other ways to put this. You know, well, does he understand all of my, he couldn't understand all of my emotions. Jesus doesn't know what depression is. Ah, yeah, he does. Isaiah 53 said he'd be known as a man of sorrows and well acquainted with our grief. We hid, as it were, our face from him. It, yeah, look at, Mark, and just the Gospel of Mark, for example, how many times they find Jesus here? Jesus went away there. They found Jesus here. He spent a lot of time on his own, intentionally. In fact, it's, it's hard to account for more than 20-something days in his life if we just look at the stories and not at the grouping, saying he was away for 30 days or he was away for. He, um, he struggled. Well, he doesn't know what it feels like to be sexually assaulted, let's say. But here's the thing. Nobody knows if you were sexually assaulted. First of all, I'm so sorry. That's horrific. It should happen to no one. You did not cause it. You did not ask for it. You, uh, you, are, you are a victim and it breaks a heart. But what you experienced was different than anybody else. Anybody else who had been assaulted exactly the same way, they're different people. And they're going to process things, different levels and different pain. Why don't we back away from that one and, and, and do another one? What if a man on the street punches me right in the stomach? And I'm going, ow. So I punch him in the stomach and say, now we're even. Really? No. You see, how he feels pain and how I feel pain are different. And his punch may be different than mine, might have landed in a different place. We can't really get even. 
just doesn't work that way. So what's the point, Patrick? The point is this. Before you tell somebody you can't understand anything about me because you've not been exactly me going through all of these things, break down what you went through into the emotions. Um, fear, desperation, panic, feeling of being degraded, trapped, the feel of being broken, angry, uh, keep going. And then ask yourselves, which one of these emotions did Jesus not feel? You don't have to go through what you've gone through to feel the different emotions you've felt, maybe at different times and different arrangements. But Jesus does know how we feel. And the people around you might know more than you give them credit for if you broke it down and said, have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt worthless and thrown away? Have you ever, and you might find a lot of people nodding, not wanting to share their story yet about how they felt it. But yeah, but Jesus is our high priest because he's gone through all of that with us, all of those emotions, and he knows our physical body, and he knows our brain, and he knows how we process things. And he's gone through it with us. That was his promise, wasn't it? to be with us to the end of the age. Well, because he sympathized with us, we, we have boldness going to God and saying, I blew it, I messed up again. I, just, I don't know what to do about this. You know, I'm sorry, but this hurt and I said that. And then this developed out of that. That's not where I wanted it to go. That's where it went. It's out of my control now, I think. You know, but I'm, it, I think it broke part of me. God's not up there going, what more do we have to do? Didn't this guy come at us five times yesterday asking for stuff? God's not like that. We can come in confidence. That's good news. He, he now uses the high priest argument. <clears throat> Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray <clears throat> since he himself is subject to weakness. That's why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. The human high priest is to be gracious, kind. He is to, be, uh, is to deal gently with people in their sins and is to remember that he too is a sinner. And while he offers sacrifices for your sins, he also has to offer sacrifices for his own. Uh, I've read several books by uh, Christians who used to be uh, Muslim. And by the way, I'm sure there are books the other direction as well. Uh, but Christians who used to be Muslims, and one of them really hit me. One of his main reasons was when he realized that his obligation in prayer <clears throat> was also to pray that the sins of Muhammad be forgiven. And yeah, that's, that, that is in their holy books. Um, I think it's in the Hadith, not the Quran, but I'm not a scholar or an expert on that. So you may wanna double check before you quote that. But regardless, they are required to pray that the sins of Muhammad also be forgiven. And then he comes and he reads Christ and he didn't have sins he had to have forgiven. And Christians aren't praying for that. 
And that is what piqued his interest enough to go into that. I found that an interesting anecdote. No one takes this honor upon themselves. No one decides, hey, I'm the high priest here. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. I'm not going to finish that verse right now. What's going on here? Again, he's talking to a Jewish group, some of whom are believers, some of whom are on the bubble, some of whom are not believers. One of the issues that they had was how can Christ be the Messiah, the anointed one who stands between us and heaven and welcomes us in and who speaks for God because he is God. How, how can he do that? He wasn't even part of the priestly family. You see, he wasn't part of the Levites. He came from another little tribe over here. Another little tribe, it would have been thought at the time. Uh, that, well, at the time of Moses, a nothing little tribe. By this time, there's one of the two tribes that had survived. Um, <coughs> and he says, well, he's the wrong family. I've talked to many Jews. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed in my life to have friends who are Jews. I'm somewhat orthodox, but more of them reform or conservative Jews. Uh, and they, they will talk to me about this as one of their arguments about rejecting Jesus, is that no, no, he, he cannot speak for us to God because he's not a priest. He's not a high priest after the order of Aaron and, and Levi, and that's the rule. When Joseph Smith started his church in America, he knew he needed a, a priesthood to, to do his new revelations, and so he developed the priesthood of Melchizedek. Um, can't do that. We've already got that about to be talked to, talked about. So Christ did not take upon himself the story of the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's in Psalm 110 verse four, but I love the way the writer goes somewhere, it's in another place. Have you ever, wanted to tell somebody where something was in the Bible and all you could think of was it's kind of halfway up the page on the right-hand side. Well, that's kind of what the writer's doing here. Melchizedek, what? Well, <clears throat> we're going to talk about Melchizedek later in some depth. Not a lot of depth because there's not a lot of depth that we can know and that's part of the mystery. Abraham comes through. He thinks he's the only person God's talked to that, uh, and yet here comes a priest, Melchizedek out of nowhere and he's a priest of God and Abraham offers gifts and sacrifices through Melchizedek to God and then Melchizedek moves on it's around, it reminds me of Elijah hiding in the cave and when God goes why are you hiding in the cave Elijah goes I'm the only one that hasn't bowed to Baal or Baal as I found out it's supposed to be pronounced um, it, I'm the only one you know I mean what, what can I do and God goes, I got thousands over here. And Jesus looks at the Jews around him, and he's a Jew, of course, obviously. And he says, my father has sheep and other sheepfolds. He doesn't just have you. When missionaries got, and by the way, this may be apocryphal story because it has a little history, but it's, it's, it may or may not have happened, all right? But I love the story of it anyway. 
And that is when Columba sailed from Ireland and brought the gospel of Christ for the first time that we know of to the mainland of Scotland. There's some doubt about what came earlier down in Whithorn at the very bottom of the Southwest, but regardless. Columba met with the Druid priest and he talked to them about Jesus and about the plan and about how Christ had come. And according to his writings and the writings of those that followed him, several of them said, they, they were not surprised. They said, we've been waiting for this. We knew this story. We know the story was good. How they could have known the story is completely lost to us. So it's a cool idea, but um, I wouldn't go around quoting that in a graduate class and hope to get credit for it. But there are other places such as uh, I know of a church in Scotland that came to another church there and said, one of these brochures you put through the door of one of our people, we're already doing all of this. And the church was like, no, no, we're the only ones that do all this. And they go, no, we were we. So they went over and found out, yeah, they were. They had brothers and sisters in Christ they didn't even know about. It's true about you too. Our safe harbor people, you're scattered, I get that. You're on couches, you're listening to podcasts as you're walking, bicycling, running, driving, or working. You are watching these videos with your church. I know several churches use these for their Bible classes. And, and please let us know about that. There's never a charge. You know, we, we don't turn aside a small check or something, but there's never a charge. We just like to know it encourages us, right? Uh, but a lot of people are using these. You need to know something. If you walk around your block, you're walking past people who think they're the only one who's struggling and they're the only one that's isolated. Truly, people feel like that everywhere and God's got people everywhere. He always has. My father uh, was kind of taken aback because my father was uh, part of a very, very narrow wing of his church. And they believed that even the other wings of his church were not gonna make it, that they had to be this super precision obedience, very strict, super hyper uh, orthodox conservative. And yet, he was in the jungles of Guyana and he was doing medical missions. He had gone back to become an EMT so he could do that as well. They were way off the beaten track. He said, when a white man walked in wearing jungle gear, not military, rather like you might expect uh, a photographer's vest to be, it had all the pockets and had a big pocket in the back where he pulled out a Bible and talked to dad for a while. Dad was thinking, this guy is right down the line with everything. He, he knows scripture and dad was just shocked that somebody other than his group would know these things. Very friendly, shared some things and then walked back in the jungle on his own, unheard of. Well, dad was a little rattled by that. His first question to me was, do you know where I could get a waistcoat like that that you could put the Bible down? I'm going, Dad, that might not have been the lesson. But no, I don't know where to get one, but probably Amazon or REI or one of those places. Anyway, God has people that are just gonna show up. They're gonna do things and they're gonna walk on and you're gonna wonder where they come from, what are their roots? What do they believe? How did... God has these people, they wander the earth. Now, I wander the earth, but I'm very vocal about where I came from, where I am, and the like. Um, I'm 
I, when I die, they're gonna cremate me because if they don't, they'll have to nail my feet to the coffin or I'll keep walking. Because traveling is part of my blood. It's part of who we've been for centuries in my family. But this is another level. Melchizedek. Verse seven, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus does know how you feel. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, the argument's being made, no, Jesus didn't come from Levi. Jesus came from God and he appeared on this earth out of nowhere. And you, Jewish people, you elevate Abraham as you should as, one, as a founding patriarch. And yet he met a priest of God before Levi was ever thought about. And there was no family of Levi. There were no priest high priest, but he was. He appeared out of nowhere, blessed Abraham because he blessed Abraham. You are here, Jewish people. And Jesus came among you as a Jew and he taught you the same way Melchizedek encountered Abraham. He passed through and then he went away. That is a really powerful argument saying, yeah, he is a high priest, but not after Levi, after Melchizedek. Well, he's, he's gonna talk more about this as we go through. He says, we have much to say about this. And he, he's not lying. She's not lying, whoever wrote this but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Well, there's some, seems a bit harsh, but it's true. I'm sorry, but it is. Do, do the math on this, would you? First of all, find out how many days in your state uh, a child must be in school for them to have the year count, all right? Uh, states vary a little bit on that, so find that out. Now, do some more back of the envelope stuff here. It's not that hard. Find out how many hours a day they have to be in school. You know, what is it, seven to three, is it eight to three, what, whatever it is. Put that in there. Times that times the number of days. That's the number of hours they have to be in school in a year. Now, let's say that you go to church every Sunday and you listen to the sermon. You also go to Bible class. We're, gonna, we're giving you that one. You're going to Sunday school, so it's two hours. And then let's say you go Wednesday, or you have a men's group or a women's group or a mixed group, whatever it is, house church, and you've got another hour, three hours a week. That's a lot, it is, it's, it's a commitment. Now, divide your number over here for hours a kid has to be in school by three. And you'll see how many weeks 
you'd have to do this before you would have enough to graduate first grade. Generally speaking, it takes over 40 years before you hit the equivalent of getting out of the first grade. But do your own math. Share it in the comments if you'd like. Here's the, here's the point. I have no interest in shaming you and I have no interest in putting burdens on you. Saying, so three hours, what are you talking about? That's a minimum. No, I'm not gonna do that. What I am gonna say is this. If you wanna keep your eyes focused on Jesus, you gotta focus on Jesus and that means you're gonna have to think. You're gonna have to pray. You're gonna have to serve. You're gonna have to give. It's gonna have to hurt a little bit. Now, I found that when give till it hurts and give a bit more and sometimes it starts feeling better, uh, but you, your experience may vary. Uh, your mileage may vary on that one. I had to learn how to give. I wasn't a natural giver. Uh, and I thank God for three or four people who really taught me how to give. Um, just, it was amazing. It was amazing, but regardless, Focus on Christ. You need constant use to get this good. And let me use an illustration. Now this is being recorded in early January. Recently, in a town to our south, there was a policeman. Uh, for some reason, he had pulled over a car and he was talking to the driver of the car through the door when a gray or silver four-door sedan, I've watched the tape many times, I work a lot with law enforcement, uh, came close to him, stopped, jerked, went a few more feet, stopped. The door opened and the man in the silver car, big man, leapt out with an ax and from 10 feet away charged the police officer. The police officer pulled his firearm pulled back and fired as he was going up, hitting the man, and sadly, the man lost his life. But there were not three seconds from door open to dead men. In fact, had he not pulled the trigger, there would have been about 1.4 seconds from door open to dead policemen, 1.4. The policeman had trained and trained and trained and whoever his trainer was trained him well and while we all wish none of that had ever had to happen and it still stuns me how fast and out of every out of nowhere this could go it does teach a lesson when compared to another story a few years ago here in the Nashville area a man walked into a, a, a waffle house I believe it was with an AR-15 and started shooting the people. Of course, mass panic, mass panic. Uh, an African-American man that was in the Waffle House became a hero to all of Nashville. When he charged the man as the man was reloading and took him down and, and controlled him, he, he had no firearm. He hadn't, the guy was just incredibly brave. I mean, that's the kind of person you want to put up statues to. Well, as I know the cops, they told me about what happened next. The police arrived, and as everybody comes out, they have to check them over because we don't know if the man with, we, I'm not one of the cops. They don't know if the man with the AR-15 was acting alone. And as 
awful as it means, as it seems, it has to be checked. So everybody coming out was being checked. One man came out with sport coat. Of course, he's just uh, he, he's just he's just a white guy wanting to get some pancakes before work or something. And he was, he was shaken up, and the policeman talking to him very calmly, very directly, said, "Do you have ID?" And he said, uh, "Yeah." And he reached back with his coat, and there was a handgun on his belt. Police officer immediately pulled his weapon, gun, 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 and the man froze. Cut to the end of the story. This white guy had a concealed carry permit, and he had gone through the classes. He had his firearm. But during the sudden onslaught of violence, he was one of those hiding under tables. He, by his own words, forgot he had a weapon. So more people died because he forgot he had a weapon. I'm afraid that's the condition of most Christians I see when they are confronted with the ugly brutality of the world. When a loss hits them, a sickness hits them, or worse, takes one of their children or a loved one from them, and all of a sudden, boom, and they don't, they're frozen. They're the proverbial deer in the headlights. Train, train your faith, work on your faith, remind yourself of faith. Go to Deuteronomy chapter six and look at that on the way stuff. As you stand up, as you sit down, keep your eyes fixed on where you want to end up. The Sabbath rests with Christ. All right, I wanna go just a bit into chapter six uh, for about a minute and then we'll shut this down. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, the faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Did you just hear all of those great weighty things? And he's saying, that's the, that's the milk. Then what's the meat? We'll have to wait till March. God bless you. Thank you for subscribing and liking these. Thank you for sharing them. We need to get the story of Jesus and good news to more people because this world really needs good news. Thank you for being a part of us. God bless you. Cheers.